Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to Film Chat. On this episode, me and my sister Sam do what we do best. Hunt witches. We're lifelong professionals in this field as we encountered our first witch as children. We didn't know she was a witch though, she just seemed like a nice old lady with a gingerbread house who likes giving lots and lots of delicious sweets to children. However, Sam realized she was actually fattening me up so she could cook and eat me, so we trapped her in an oven and roasted her alive. However, all that candy I scoffed has given me diabetes, so I require shots of insulin every few hours or I'll get sick and die. Years later, we go to a town where they have a similar witch problem, where all the witches in the local area band together to kidnap 12 children in order to sacrifice them during the blood moon to give them immunity from fire, which is apparently the only way you can kill a witch. Needless to say, we kick those devilish hags' asses to Kingdom Come. It's what I would be saying if this was a pod adaptation of the 2013 film Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Dane Moran and joining me is my crossbow-wielding badass older sis, Sam Foster. Hello. <laughs> There's one film that came out this week that everyone is talking yeah. about. Chris Marshall romance Sparks and Embers. What happened to you after I left? Drank a lot of beer. Experimented with a serious prawn cocktail crisps, have it. I'm moving to France. So this is a goodbye type scenario. My train leaves at 6.45. Wow. I don't want to preempt the 20-minute film chat review of Sparks Numbers, but let's just say it's the defining film of the 21st century. Well, we'll also probably find a moment or two to offer some perfunctory comments on large space film Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Do we give it five Star Wars or one Star Wars? I wrote 33 Star Wars puns for this introduction, and that was the best one. We also talk about <laughs> Quentin Tarantino's run-in with Disney, past judgment on some of the latest news about sequels and remakes, which I realise doing this podcast is literally 99% of all film news. And if we have time, I'll be auditioning to be in the Star Wars Episode Eight Cantina Band by bashing a tambourine, shouting, and improvising wild clarinet solos. <laughs> <laughs> that's just that's just nonsense. <laughs> okay, everything's <laughs> gonna fit. <laughs> yeah, I gotta work on that. Films, 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 films. Lots of films, 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 films. These good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love. Weird films, Lars von Trier films. Films that star Peter Fitch, films by David Lynch, films short 
film six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. So, on the Film Chat Facebook page this week, Chris Young posted The Guardian's 50 Best Films of 2015 in the UK. Chris said, Come on, Guardian, there weren't 32 better films than Inside Out this year. This is looking like the most bullshit list of 2015. Well, regular listeners will know that Danny and I are frequently quite critical of The Guardian's film critics. They're a bunch of uh, ponzes. <laughs> Pons- yes. Ponzi film men. That's not the first time we've described them that way. And uh, when Chris posted that, they still hadn't announced their top five. They were doing a kind of countdown. And he was mainly objecting to the fact that Inside Out was all the way down at number 33 and um, number 34, I believe. Let me quickly scroll through to that. Um, What was it? Number 30... Sorry, Inside Out was number 33 and number 32 is Mad Max Fury Road. So the two two best films of the year? Two of the best films of the year. Very, you know, quite far down there. Um, and uh, since then they have gone to the top five I was a bit worried that Spectre was going to be in there because it wasn't in there yet and Bradshaw yeah. gave it five stars oh no and so that would have been a travesty but actually it's not in the list so I guess it didn't make the top 50 which is kind of interesting I mean did Bradshaw give 50 other films five stars yeah. or maybe just the other critics in The Guardian hated Zan it Zan Brooks nixed it yeah <laughs> he <laughs> yeah. Told it exactly um, so the top five are Carol the Look of Silence, A Syrian Love Story, Bridge of Spies, and 45 Years. And it's not like an incredibly terrible list, but that is a slightly odd choice of top two, I would say. I know you haven't seen either of those so movies. So the, the top two are... Bridge of Spies, number two, in 45 Bridge Years. Bridge of Spies is the second best film of the year. Apparently, yeah. What? It's a bit of an um, unusual view. I didn't think that was like the second best review. That sounds like, you know... Too sort of thing I would do when I'm a bit drunk just like declare some random opinion which is obviously untrue <laughs> defend it to the hilt well it was quite well received but I don't know It's that's very B-rate Spielberg Man. that's my view and 45 Years was definitely a good movie but saying it's the best film of the year is going a bit far I guess it's not like a total travesty it's not like um, they said that Horrible Bosses 2 is the best film of the year or something like that which would have been completely insane but um, yeah especially because I was last year was that last year? yeah I remember when we saw that movie. Yeah. Yeah, or whatever, or some other bad film, The Ridiculous Six, or something like that. Um, come on, Guardian. Come on, Guardian. Get your act together. They have uh, While We're Young at number 10, Danny. You won't like Ugh. that. A Pigeon Sat on a Branch Reflecting on Existence is number 10. Do you know nine. what all you these like films have in common? They're all about miserable old white guys. Mm. Right? People like to see themselves in films. That's true. So you've got a bunch of cranky old white dudes writing for The Guardian, and they're like, give all the prizes to the cranky old white dude movies. That's kind of true, actually. Yeah, like slightly middle-brow, yeah. like miserable white people films. A Syrian Love Story is not that, and then The Look of Silence is not that either. The two movies at number three and four. Those okay. are both excellent. So I don't know. It's not a total disaster of a film list, but it is slightly, slightly strange. I, I recommend going and checking it out yeah. if you enjoy perusing these sorts of things. The main fun of these lists is to look at them and be like, what? They, they put it that there? What? They say what? What about this other film I like better? Why isn't that there? Exactly. Kind of thing. Sort it out, Guardian. Sort it out. Where you, the fuck is Sean the Sheep? 
They haven't shown the sheep on the list. I don't think so. That's bullshit. That's no, that's bullshit. No, that is absolutely total bullshit. And uh, one other thing to mention very quickly, Danny posted a fantastic video that he made with the help of Dougal McQueen comparing Star Trek J.J. Abrams, 2009. <laughs> to <laughs> rearrange those words. Into <laughs> comparing uh, the Star Trek reboot in 2009 directed by J.J. Abrams to Star Wars A New Hope. And I've pretty much, I would say, ruined his career. Yeah. You've shown him to be an absolute charlatan. Yeah. He's already quite famous as one of uh, modern cinema's mimics. Yeah. You know, making quite Spielbergian films. The J whatnot. stands for plagiarism, it turns out. <laughs> J plagiarism. Plagiarism. Jerry J plagiarism Abrams. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what the J's actually stand for. Um, but you make quite a compelling case that Star Trek, a film which is not immediately um, probably... I mean, I haven't heard it compared to Star Wars and New Hope that many times, but uh, you make some excellent arguments in favour of them being highly similar. Very, very well put together. I think lawsuit, you know, pending. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So it's a bit of a slow news week. I think basically the news this week is Star Wars: The Force Awakens came out. People mainly want to talk about that. Yeah, but a few other things have happened. There is some Star Wars The Force Awakens related news. Quentin Tarantino, he's one of uh, cinema's loudest mouths, probably. <laughs> and biggest chins. <laughs> and biggest chins. <laughs> he's a very outspoken director. He was in the news recently for speaking at a um, Black Lives Matter kind of anti-police um, violence rally. The police didn't like that. And now he's back in the news. He was on the Howard Stern show and he was airing some grievances against Disney. He had an agreement with a cinema in Los Angeles to show his film The Hateful Eight, which is coming out um, very soon, from Christmas Day onwards for two weeks, um, following a two-week screening of Star Wars The Force Awakens, because his movie is in some exciting new format. It's in, like, CinemaScope, ridiculously wide Yeah, so there's only ratio. a few cinemas you can watch it in that format. Yeah, so them. you've got to go to a few special places to see it in the intended format. And this cinema already has a 70mm projector, so it's the perfect place for it. And um, it's one Tarantino has some attachment to. And Disney pretty much well according to tarantino strong-armed the studio into um abandoning their commitment to tarantino and just showing the force awakens for the whole holiday period should we hear a little bit of uh, him very eloquently putting across the situation yeah i think he makes it clear that he's not happy so oh. in your mind that's petty because they've got a big blockbuster on their hands they've they got don't the need biggest to... movie in the world we're talking about one effing theater why are they fucking with you you think they're just to fuck. Yeah, yeah. They're they're they are going out of their way to fuck me. Yeah, yeah. Angry man. Angry man. Very angry man. That's the sort of um, slight tension. I think it's it's almost. I don't know what the word would be, but with Star Wars, um, there's something so open-hearted and sincere about the movies. But it's the most cynical commercial products in the world now. Yeah. And so everyone's got such goodwill to Star Wars, but they're like. It's just like this huge money machine. And it feels like, you know, it's like the episode of The Simpsons where Bill Gates beats up Homer because he's got that one website, he doesn't know what it does. <laughs> it's like, no, I must, you know, got to dominate the entire market. Yeah, I Mental. think, yeah, I don't know. 
you wonder whether it's just the sort of legal department of Disney and they were just, uh, you know, given a certain remit and they just you know, cut through by nature or something. Sure. Couldn't Star know. Wars, couldn't they just build their own cinema and just show Star Wars all the time, every day, from now until the end of time? Well, I don't it think it's even, money? it's not even clear that they would lose money by not showing that cinema because you'd have to believe that there are people who would not see Star Wars if it wasn't showing at that specific cinema. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Which doesn't seem, they just see it somewhere else, surely. And yeah. what does Disney care what cinema they see it in? I'm pretty sure every cinema in the world is showing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How few cinemas are there in Los Angeles? Apart from maybe the Richmond Curzon, you know. <laughs> They're probably showing some documentary about salt or something. Yeah, probably. <laughs> For about £30. Um. <laughs> it's a brave decision, my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> They're showing Sherpa. Yeah. 24 hours a day. Yeah, but, I don't know. Um, if I mean, we've only heard Tarantino's side of the story so far. But I, I, you know, he's got his detractors, but I like how outspoken he is, and he yeah. calls it how he sees it. I think that for the most part, he says very sensible stuff. I mean, I very rarely hear him say something that is. Um... No, his manner is always like super animated, but if you like listen to a transcript, what he says is always very cogent. He's yeah. a super intelligent guy, and I don't think he's. Um, it doesn't seem like him to just make up some nonsensical story about Disney that's you know has no foundation in reality. So. My sort of inclination is to believe that he has been wronged. Being wronged by Disney. Damn you! He's being fucked by Mickey the Mouse. If there's one director in the world who will be upset if it was the specific cinema when we show their movie, it is Tarantino. <laughs> he just loves cinemas so much. He loves them. He owns one. Yeah, yeah. So, a news uh, story we keep on returning to, it seems, is the Alien franchise. Yeah. The Prometheus sequel is now being called Alien Covenant. It was previously called Alien Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost. I don't know what it'll be called by the time this episode goes out. There it's might just be Alien different. generic subtitle. Alien something or other. And uh, a bit of some information has come out about the movie. Uh, one of the things is that Numi Rapace is set to show up again as the uh, character Elizabeth Shaw, but she'll only be playing a minor part this time. And this is backed up by the news that Catherine Waterstone, who is... Uh, was most recently seen in Steve Jobs as Jobs' is a put-upon ex-partner and yeah. she was in Inherent Vice and she's in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them she's, she seems to be in a lot of she's movies she's on the up and up on the up and up she has landed the uh, lead role well I think maybe they decided that because at the end of Prometheus she's gone into space with the head of Michael Fassbender right yeah so they probably decided that it was hard to build an entire film around that yeah we need a it's new like, character we've got to get at least two characters with a body <laughs> Can't just be Numi and the head. Anyway, Empire Line got the scoop. They say Rebecca Ferguson from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation had previously been linked to the character, possibly named Daniels. <laughs> That's an exclusive. It might be called Daniels, but Waterstone is now locked in. <laughs> and apparently, really, Scott says rather than this being a sort of alien universe movie like Prometheus, this is going to be a full on alien movie. So I guess face huggers and xenomorphs and yeah. uh, dick like creatures and vagina mouths and eggs. I think the thing that, that, that makes the all this alien related news kind of interesting is that it's you can see the studio sort of scrambling around trying to build their massive multiple um, film universe franchise, you know? Yeah. Because that's the big hot thing these days. You've got to have a sprawling universe with loads of films branching off it. Um, and uh, they obviously want to do that with Alien. And they can't, they don't seem to have quite nailed down exactly how they want that to work. Hmm. Fit in Alien and like Prometheus and various spin offs, or whatever. It's not quite settled yet. And so you're kind of seeing it um, develop. And uh, it all seems like a little <laughs> bit made up as they go along. But, yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's a bit, it's kind of wrung out, I think, that franchise. Alien Covenant, Alien Paradise Lost, they both sound quite biblical, don't they? Yeah. But they're just different parts of the Bible. I hope it's just, I hope Fassbender never gets his body, it's just a head in the back for the entire film. I want to see a lot of severed Fassbender head in this film. And he's always, like, his head's always on, like, a really big table, and he's obviously just underneath it. <laughs> you want to see that the, the special yeah. effects done as clumsily as possible yeah I'd be interested to see if uh, Ridley Scott's quite old he's like pushing he's like in his 70s I don't know the Martian was pretty good other than that I'd be really wondering if he had much in him anymore but... yeah I mean he hasn't made that many good films and he's made a lot of films <laughs> so his batting average I would say is low real low real low well real. we'll see how he does Star Wars. Star Wars. The film event of the year. The hype has been crazy. It's gone absolutely off the charts. I think even the people who are expecting a lot of hype weren't expecting this much hype. It's been absolutely <laughs> mental. It's been fucking. <laughs> it's, it's been insane. I haven't been able to walk down the street without people shouting Star Wars at me, singing snatches of the Star John Wars. Williams score. Every time you go out to buy milk, half the people in there are dressed as fucking stormtroopers. <laughs> it's just been relentless so we are going to review star wars now spoiler free there's going to be not a nary a hint of spoilers except you know the absolute minimum level necessary to discuss a film at all and then uh we're going to do a more spoilery section where we go deep into the woods delve into the weeds all that kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah plain in minute detail where every plot inconsistency um, and that sort of thing. So stick around for that as well if you've seen the movie. And if you haven't seen it, come back later and listen to it because I think you'll find it very, very interesting. Yes, you will. So we went to see this on Thursday night, the day it came out, like all the mega fans, like the mega fans we are. Went to see the Science Museum, the only cinema in Europe to be showing it in full 70 millimeter on their giant screen with a lamp that burns hotter than the sun, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> it was the perfect conditions. We were sitting right in the middle. I had popcorn. It couldn't have been a better setting <laughs> to, watch, to watch this massive film event. <laughs> so, Danny, what did you think? Well, let's say we'll, we'll talk as much as the opening scroll and stuff you've seen in the trailer. Yeah, that, so, that makes some sense, yeah. The situation is it's 30 years later, and of the ashes of the Empire, an identical organisation called the First Order has risen up. It's just the Empire again, but... Luke's yeah. gone AWOL, no one knows where Luke is, and uh, they're searching for a map that will have his location, the good guys, who are still the rebels. In the midst of this new setting, there are new characters. One of them is Oscar Isaacs playing Poe Dameron. He is a fighter pilot for the Rebels. Uh, he's the best pilot in the, the galaxy. Resistance, Danny. The Danny. We're resistance. not the Rebels anymore. We don't, we don't, the Rebels, we don't pay for things. <laughs> um, he's uh, searching for this uh, map. And then there's Ray, played by newcomer Daisy Ridley. She's a scavenger on this Tatooine-esque planet called Jakku. And there's Finn, played by John Boyega, who is a stormtrooper who has a crisis of conscience earlier yeah. Early on, and, he goes um, rogue one. He goes rogue one, <laughs> and yeah, it's basically a sort of, I think, not unfair to say, a bit of a kind of remakes slash reboot of a new hope. Yeah, with a lot of very familiar elements and uh, an old cast of you know. It's got the, the the approach of this new film is very much what you'd expect if well, so George Lucas sold the rights to Star Wars to Disney. 
and they wanted to make more Star Wars movies and they were obviously super duper aware of the reaction to the prequels which was monumentally negative even though they did make money um, so they wanted to make new films which would not have the reaction the prequels did which is sort of mass bafflement and disgust and you know, senses of betrayal and like deep mourning and that kind of thing and they hired J.J. Abrams to direct it, who is someone who has already had some success rebooting previous franchises and filling them with Fran references like it did with Star Trek and giving them a lot of zip and look, making them look modern and be exciting, you know, from yes. beginning to end and that kind of thing. And so given uh, their desire to not horrify the fans and the fact that they, they hired J.J. Abrams and the kind of previously approached um, that he's taken to his movies the result is not that surprising it's it's ultra cautious the the approach that they took to make this movie and that they want to remind you of the greatness of the original star wars particularly the first star wars movie new hope as much as possible while also telling a story that is sort of new so yes. like the new characters and stuff like that so there's just enough new stuff that you're not kind of uh, just like why does this film exist or is it a complete remake but everything is reassuringly familiar all the time like it doesn't trouble you with anything that's too new for all the people who have fond memories of watching star wars and want to see a film that is very very star wars um then you know this film is for them kind yes. of thing so i think within that framework you there is a limit to how good the film can be when a film is essentially um, very dependent on the plot and characters and tone of a specific other film, it can only be so good because there's a lack of originality in its ambition. There's just a general kind of yes, lack of yes, ambition absolutely. to it. Um, but within that framework, I thought it was pretty good. Hmm. It was about as good as a film that is sort of a remake, reboot of another film is going to be, I think. you know, yeah. It's a lot better than Jurassic World, which took a very, very similar approach to rebooting a um, beloved uh, franchise property. Yes, I agree completely. I think it's similar to Jurassic World in that it somewhat slavishly retreads old Star Wars things, and you could just like like spot the reference the whole movie. But rather than that film, which was very cynical, it's been made by someone who obviously loves the original. But the reason I'm slightly down on the movie, I think, because it sort of doesn't earn the nostalgia. You know, it's just recreating it, and there's something a little cheap about it because. All he needs to do is like play a bit of Star Wars music and have some lightsabers. There's such goodwill towards this film; people want to love it, and I, it like just about clears the bar, you know. And so, I, I found myself slightly resenting how slavish it was to the original because, yeah. as I was saying earlier, like A New Hope is so sort of open-hearted and sincere, and uh, it's a real bit like movie magic. It's full of wonder, but this one is just repeating stuff which filled you with wonder 30 years ago so there's something a little bit uninspired and kind of it's just a whole it's a whole sequel thing of people want something the same but completely different yeah but a lot of the joy of the original movies is the sense of discovery that something new is constantly unfolding yeah and uh that's part of what makes return of the jedi the weakest installment in the three is that they have another Death Star, and you saw that already in the first one. You yeah. This world of infinite possibilities, and yet the big, bad um, Death Rays returns, you know, yeah. in a way that's a bit lazy. And uh, this movie is a similar kind of thing. And I also found... One thing that I found kind of odd about it is that it... Um, 
the original cast returns, you know, so Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher are in it and Chewbacca is in it, C-3PO is in it and everything like that. So they have all these original um, original trilogy faces and list familiarity. And they also have the new stuff, which is referencing the old stuff as well. So there's this kind of odd, slightly jarring thing where they had the adorable droid R2-D2 in the original trilogy. Now they have a new adorable droid called BB-8, but they still have R2-D2 <laughs> as well. So it's like some kind of bizarre Hall of Mirrors thing well, it's just like you have the reference and the original thing. The first Star Wars movie, what's so brilliant about it is kind of it just took all these uh, like the hero's journey. It's very simple, all these archetypes, and it's like cowboys and World War II dogfights and samurais. It's like all the best elements of fantasy like crushed into one thing, and it created this completely new fantasy culture which isn't actually tied to anything in the world you know it's not you know derived from a particular country it's like everything but with this movie the only thing it's referencing is more star wars so it's like it's not as bad or this maybe is a poor comparison but it's a bit like the bond movies and that it's like laden by conventions yeah so the only types of characters you can have in it like you can only have bad people who have like betrayed their masters you know, that's the only arc of a villain in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And it can't change from that. It's weirdly, weirdly limited. And it's odd how... I mean, also because the characters are constantly referencing... Like, the events of the original movies are, like, legendary you know now 30 years later so they specifically reference the events and people say things like hey it's like that thing from you know and they mentioned something that's in the previous one like yeah it is like that i'm not sure how you'd uh overcome this but it's like star wars is this big kind of singular event in film history and like the rest of film culture is like i don't know surrounded it you know so it's hard to break free of that so like all the sort of throwaway lines from a new hope are now just like legendary lines and so Everyone in the movie, it's like it's this kind of meta element where all the new characters, it's like, but I saw you in that movie before. It's like yeah, that. yeah. They look at them like uh, when Ray sees Harrison Ford and she looks at him like, oh my god, it's Harrison Ford. You know, it's just like a fan. Um, and it's I, like the characters are trapped in some kind of odd cyclical history where, <laughs> you know, like the world can never move on. It's just the same events repeat themselves. I thought the new cast, were, with the exception of Daisy Ridley, who I thought was a bit of quite bland. I thought the new guys were fed in quite nicely. And they were doing a lot with the sort of another Star Wars thing of having very clear-cut characters Un- uncomplicated def- defined heroes. by one, you know, or two lines. Yeah. I thought I actually thought they were all really excellent. I, did, I, I, I can understand why um, you're a bit turned off by Daisy Ridley, who bears a strong resemblance to Kira Knightley, has a very Kira Knightley-esque grin. She's also sort of the Luke character of the sort of just super earnest... It's hard to make that character work and for not to be... Yeah, although she is... Um, I think they've really kind of turned up to 11, the capable young heroine kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, she gets a lot to do. I think it's it's cool that they made the Luke character a woman now. The, the original trilogy is uh, marked by almost zero presence from women. So, uh, except for Leia, obviously. Except for her, she has like, less and less to do. Yeah, exactly. And she is, um, yeah, sort of and sidelined as that's true of this one on. as well. Uh, no, it isn't. Oh, you mean Leia is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. She remains quite sidelined, but... She's the same place she was in Empire Strikes Back. She's always just standing next to a control panel. Yeah. (laughs) That's all Um, she does. Yeah. So it's cool that they they have a woman doing a lot more, and I I I thought she was perfectly fine. I mean, I didn't think she was amazing, as some reviewers have really loved Ray, but I thought she was doing, you know, quite a good job. I don't know. I feel like it didn't really have to do much to, like, impress me, and... uh, it didn't I don't know it was just like it's so safe it's so yeah it doesn't take many risks yeah it takes very very few risks and it feels yeah it's like almost slightly it's not cynical because it's like made by this guy who loves it but 
you know, it's like it's a weird like you have everyone has this like little personal connection to Star Wars. So if you feel like you're being, it's like a, a movie when it's like trying to manipulate you and you can feel it and it's a bit irritating. It was a bit like that, you know. It's like don't trade on my good Star Wars memories. Don't just invoke my childhood and try and trick me into thinking this film's better than it is, JJ. <laughs> yeah. So I had a slightly sort of childish like. Meh. You know, maybe a bit of Christmas Grinch sort of reaction to it's, some of it's it. It's absolutely desperate to evoke the magic of Star Wars, yeah. which is, it's like what you're saying, like it's a different job to the job being done by the original Star Wars, which is evoking the magic of space and yeah. All that, yeah. So it lacks that sense. But it's competent, it's fun, looks good. Some of the new characters are quite good. And it sets things up in a way that makes you kind of hopeful for the new sequel. I could have kept watching it. I was like, this is fine. Yeah, this is good fun. I sure. think it's pretty good. I mean, I think it's better than... Uh, you know, most of the major movies that came out this I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, a, I'm just a Christmas Grinch. Okay, spoiler section now. If you've seen the movie, please stick around. If you haven't, come back in eight minutes. Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Watch out, spoiler the boy. Careful, spoiler alert. Spoilers. Okay. What I wanted to say was if it had been really fan servicey, you would have seen Luke and Han and Leia all on the Millennium Falcon, the old gang back together. Yeah. But the old gang is pretty much completely separate from each other. And only there's one scene where they Han and Leia sort of cross paths, but she's for the most part relegated to just sort of standing. And the opening scores is General Leia and like, here we go, fucking General Leia. And then just Absolutely, like... Absolutely, yeah. I yeah. know I had exactly the same feeling. It's like, oh, she's not a princess anymore. They've upgraded her to general, but she does nothing different. It's like she's the general of the resistance now, but all she talks about is family and love. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit of a shame. And there is also something quite weird in seeing Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher kind of back in very similar looking kind of costumes and just doing the same stuff. And it almost makes, um, it emphasizes how old they've become. And their, their plotline was the, always the most sort of adult thing about the franchise. Like the most sort of uh, psychologically real bit of it. It's all yeah. like you know, just space nonsense. But their relationship was like what anchored it. I thought, yeah, in the you know original trilogy. Yeah, although some of their um, barbs and jive <laughs> stuff are pretty lame, especially in Empire. Yeah, but um, but yeah, it's true. Uh, and they, I think that their stuff is like relatively successful. I mean, it's very much anchored by the performances and the fact that you're just seeing them again together after so many years. But all right, so what did you think of how they handled the death of Han Solo? Um, it was a bit telegraphed, I thought. Yeah. You see it coming a mile off. I read some piece that had speculated that it might happen, so I think I was I, I suspected that, because I don't think Harrison was particularly invested in the... You know, they just gave him you know, all the cash in the world. And he was well, like, he, wanted, he wanted to be killed off in Return of the Jedi, That's right? what I mean, what I think is a bit of housekeeping, because they don't want... He didn't want to be in it. They should have killed him in Return of the Jedi. They should have had Luke walk off in the sunset at the end of... That's what... Do you know this, like, Lawrence Kazan had... There's a very good making of books of the Star Wars films, and they're all really interesting, especially the first one, because of like George Lucas's batshit crazy ideas, which somehow worked into a genius film. But in the third film, Lawrence Kasdan, there's this like quite interesting bit about the back and forth about the scripts. And so originally it was going to be the planet of the Wookiees, not the Ewoks. And Lawrence Kasdan didn't want another Death Star. 
he wanted Han Solo to die and so did Harrison Ford and he wanted the ending to be Luke just walking off into the sunset of Tatooine because he's like completed his quest there's nothing left for him to do yeah and it was going to be like a western ending it's like you know that's I'm leaving cool, the yeah. town and so they've sort of done that in this movie yeah uh, that's yeah, why they, they've yeah they've done Cast, that ending worked on it right? yeah exactly so he finally got to do what he wanted um and uh, yeah, but I thought the the manner of his death was good, and it and it provided an interesting character beat for Kylo Ren, rather than him like sacrificing himself or yeah. just getting shot or like going down fighting, which I thought maybe that would be how he would go. Yeah, a heroic death, like fighting ten people off or something. So much of Star Wars is just stormtroopers missing people. It's like it would be cheaper if he just got shot. It's that, like you're yeah, fucking kidding abs- me. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, being killed by the same method by which he evaded death like a hundred times already and they just finally get him in the 101. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we were discussing a bit afterwards whether Carlo Ren should have kept his mask on until the moment yeah. on the bridge and then he removes his mask and you see him for the first time. But I actually, I was thinking that um, I quite like the fact that he takes his mask off in an earlier scene because it's like the movie is telling you this is a major character you're going to learn more about them we're going to develop them properly halfway through yeah rather than only saving that moment for a major plot twist but instead it's happens earlier on in a sort of just a character moment Mm. and it's like this guy's as much of a um you know main character as uh, finn and ray and the others and everything like that um, and I think that by having all that stuff, it just um, really set up the best scene in the film for me, which is the lightsaber battle, which I think is just one of the... I don't know. I I, I mean, I'd probably have to watch it again to decide this, but I felt like it was one of the best moments in the Star Wars series to date altogether. I thought it was really well handled. It was an excellent balance of... Um, the kind of exciting action yeah. of the prequel ones where they're all like flipping and flopping um, and the uh, the really emotional weight of the fights in Empire Strikes Back and in um, Return of the Jedi. The setting was quite cool. I like the way they sort of had stuff to slice down because they were surrounded by trees mm. and there was the hiss of the lightsaber going into the snow and everything like that. That was really good and they did the work in the movie to make it good. It wasn't just that that scene was good but that they'd done all the work, you know, yeah. to put it together. Um, so that was quite cool I think if I could change one thing about the film it would be no Death Star I think that was, it's yeah. alright to repeat all this stuff from Star Wars you know to an extent but that has already been repeated one time so now we have three of the seven Star Wars films have a fucking Death Star in them that's too high a ratio of Death Stars and, and not only that but this one I you know there's got to be it's always an interesting discussion about what nonsense is too nonsense, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah How yeah. much sci-fi bullshit are you willing to put up with in these movies? And sometimes the mumbo-jumbo is like, whatever, that's the rules of the world, I don't care, you know, it's fine. And sometimes it just stretches credulity a bit too much. Hmm. So for some reason, I find that having a moon-sized base that can destroy a planet with a single laser, I'm like, okay, yeah, know, whatever. <laughs> but having a planet-sized base that can destroy six planets with a single laser sucks and which the sucks the the sun into itself i was just like can't what is going on yeah and it, it, it makes you really suddenly it's like i don't think jj abrams really thinks about that stuff there's something that's very nerdish um about really thinking about the details of how these worlds work and he doesn't do that and there's something of that in his other films and in this one there's this bit when uh, you know they destroy the republic and they fire that giant yeah, like, yeah. space laser it splits into six they all go to different planets and then all the heroes are standing on some other planet they can see it happening in the sky yeah. it's like where are these things in relation to each <laughs> other 
I don't know. Anyway, yeah. That must have been the deaths of billions of people and an entire civilization. The Republic is destroyed in a moment. Hmm. And none of the characters seem to know anyone from there or they didn't... It's, I don't know. It was a weirdly empty... There's no cost. There's no, there's no cost. cost. Yeah, there's no yeah. sense of like... That's not that big of a deal. And it was a bit odd. And yeah. the, the movie had a few things like that, which we, we you just think about it later. And you're like, really? Like, why? Mm. So that kind of irritated me. So I would change that. I would definitely... I don't, I don't. I feel like you did not need that. You definitely didn't need that. You can have dog fights. You can have TIE fighters, you know. <laughs> just not a fucking Death Star That's again. fine, but... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I was a bit... Yeah, I found all the lines that... The sort of parsec reference. Yeah, and the I've got a bad feeling about got this. Got a bad so, feeling about yeah. this. The trash compactor reference was all you a bit know. too on the nose. Yeah, exactly. Some familiarity and is, I find is like going a bit too far. Those sort of things they like they might have like a titter on the audience when they first see it, but it adds nothing to the film and all it does is just remind you of another film. I don't understand like this obsession with like it's got a few nods to the originals. Like who wants nods to the original? Yeah. It's not like Especially you... if they serve no purpose beyond that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I I I, uh, I would describe it as fun, not amazing, but a fun, good film. I describe like... it as okay, but a little bit disappointing for me. Too safe. Be bold. Be bold, Disney. Be brave. <laughs> Be brave. Be bold. Yeah. Yesterday I bumped into Imelda Staunton She was up with her dog and we got talking I asked her what she does when she isn't acting She said she likes podcasts for relaxing Imelda, when you're in the mood What do you listen to? She said I listen to one podcast I listen to one podcast All the other ones can kiss my ass Cause I listen to one podcast Film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat, film chat so I don't know if you've uh, used Twitter before. Yes, so I it's use, a game changer. Use it, use it now and again. Um, so there was a bit of trending Twitter news because Love Actually was on TV as it always is all the time mm-hmm. because it's the Christmas season they were showing it, and somebody tweeted to Emma Freud, who is the script editor on Love Actually, and also Mrs. Richard Curtis, to say like, please, can you tell me whether Harry, who was Alan Rickman's character, actually slept with the uh, office tramp? <laughs> And she confirmed that he did. Oh, really? Yeah, so I that thought... whole uh, ambiguous thing is now unambiguous. He definitely had a full physical relationship with this other woman I thought cheated he... on Emma Thompson. I thought he didn't. I thought that's what was cool about that that's segment. That's the thing, yes. So I think it ruins it slightly because, first of all, I always read it that it's like he didn't physically do anything, but just the idea that he was fantasizing about another woman is, like, devastating. The thing that's interesting about that segment, assuming that he doesn't sleep with her, is that he's cheating on his wife not by, like, sleeping with her, but by, like, buying her... He's courting her, obviously. Yes, yeah. He's, he's started a relationship with someone else. Like, it's not a sexual relationship yet, maybe. I've, yeah, But exactly. he's still started a romantic relationship, and that's, you know, that's cheating. So that's why it was interesting. So to say that he actually sat with it's her It's the best well. bit of the movie, right? Yeah, that was one of the best ones. The bit where she has the cry upstairs? That's the... It's like the pinnacle of the Well, it's dramatic. definitely, yeah. I mean, so one of the odd things about that film is how it um, ping-pongs around so much <laughs> between different dramatic tones. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that is the bit that feels the most real of the, yeah. of the whole thing. And some then of the cut to Chris Marshall having sex with four American women. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or like the Colin Firth story, which is like a kind of Woody Allen, like, beta <laughs> script they've just thrown in there. So, yeah, I was a bit... I know that I'm particularly emotionally attached to love, oh. actually. But I was like, that's a shame because it's much more interesting the other way, I would argue. Yeah. So this Christmas love actually just got slightly worse. 
Do you reckon there was a sort of maybe there's like a really full on Alan Rickman sex thing they cut out? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think Richard Curtis. He probably wanted to include at least one sort of balls out sex scene. Yeah, like you know, one shot of balls because he's making a film about all kinds of aspects of love, right? Like platonic love, romantic love, mainly romantic love. Yeah, but <laughs> romantic love, romantic love, <laughs> platonic love. <laughs> I guess love. I guess the Chris Marshall one is like lust, right? It's just him boning yeah. some hot chicks. Exactly. Yeah, that's like the most sort of um, just sex based love. Yeah. Um, so yeah he probably wanted to have a little bit of boob in there if he could fit that in but he just the movie was running about nine hours long yeah so we couldn't get any of Rickman's boob into it but I think it's a shame so Merry Christmas everyone first of all and second of all we are going to have another Christmas episode we had one last year we're now an old enough podcast to be doing our second Christmas episode yes and it will feature what we deem to be the films of the year we have a discussion about that we're gonna sing all our favourite songs uh, I'm just making this up. I'm gonna... We're going to get a um, roaring fireplace in. Yeah. Right. Um, Let us know what your favourite films are. Oh, yeah. Interesting to yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. We need to check in with our listeners about that. Let yeah. us know your favourite films of the year. Fave films. If you've got anything else to say to us about Christmas or movies, please let us know. So see you then, guys. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Christmas Day, probably. When's it going to come out, Katie? Christmas Day is when we're going to plan to release that one. So a present to, to you that. all. <laughs> Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. See you, see you then. Bye. 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 Well, you know, I hope it's successful. I hope they do a great job. They've, you know, the original uh, saga was about the father, the children, and the grandchildren. And you, you, I mean, that's not a secret to anybody. It's even in the novels and everything. But and that the children were in their twenties and everything, so it, it wasn't Phantom Menace again. But, so, I'm hoping, and they've taken it in a different direction, and I'm hoping, I'll be, I'm excited to see, since I didn't use my stories, I'm just gonna, I have no idea what they're doing. Have you looked at any of the teaser trailers? Uh, I have seen the first one, the first one, the other one that came out today, I just saw what was on CBS, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna try to look at it, we're gonna, uh, I wanna see it on the big screen. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.